Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. They call me Ben. We are joined, of course, with our super producer, Paul Deccan, on the ones and twos. Most importantly, you are here, you are you, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. That's what this is. Brand new logo rocking. Feeling oh, good? Yeah, that's true. We have the uh, six-finger logo uh, designed, by the way, uh, by our super producer, Paul. Paul, nice work, sir. With a consultation from our uh, graphic artist team. Yeah, Pam. Yeah. We can say her name. It's okay. Pam is awesome. Pam Peacock. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have a situation here uh, wherein it may be deceptively easy to think that there are only three or four people involved in stuff they don't want you to know. That could not be further from the truth. 
because this podcast, like many, many other things in the world, uh, has an entire team behind the curtain actively working to make stuff like this sound easy. I think we have the easiest jobs on the team, to be honest. Sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we, we just get in here and ramble, man. That's what I do. You, you do the hard stuff. I just go, well, Ben, guess what? What? This. Oh, I fell for it. <laughs> <laughs> See? See? There you go. No, 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 no. But wait, the reason we're bringing up this idea of uh, a team that often is not acknowledged is because today's episode dives into uh, something that could easily be seen as the um, the the actions of just a few isolated people. Absolutely. Maybe just 52 of them. Perhaps as few as 52. But as we're going to find, just like this podcast, uh, today's topic has many, 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 many more people in play, some of whom remain uh, mysterious and unidentified today. If you're listening to this show, then you probably won't be surprised. Matt and I are going to go out on a limb and assume you will not be surprised to learn that most governments at one point or another, love them or hate them, have perpetrated secret illegal programs against either their citizens or citizens of another country. And since our show is based in the U.S., we naturally tend to explore stories based in this country. This one is no exception, but it's one you may not have heard of before. Today, we're exploring a classified program known as Operation Chaos. Yes, and to discuss this program, we need to take ourselves back to 1954 uh, onward, just a little bit there, to the Second Indochina War. You probably don't know it as that. You probably know it as the Vietnam War. I know that's how I was uh, a little while ago. It was a conflict between North and South Vietnam, which were two separate countries at the time, and it lasted from 1954 until 1975. Now, this is distilling it like crazy, but this is just to say what it is, and you probably already know this. Uh, North Vietnam was a, com a communist government. It was run by a communist government, and they worked with uh, these rebels in South Vietnam who were called the Viet Cong, and together they attempted to overthrow the government of South Vietnam, and this was a terrible, terrible conflict that cost the lives of so many, and we'll discuss that here shortly. Um, but ultimately, the physical combat took place in both South Vietnam and North Vietnam, uh, Laos and Cambodia, which are immediately to the west of the Vietnam, of Vietnam, that's right there. And um, I guess, spoiler alert, ultimately, the North Vietnamese were successful in their attempts to overthrow the South Vietnamese government. Yeah, yeah. And Along the way, the U.S. got involved. Mm -hmm. You may have heard us reference earlier instances surrounding the um, the catalyst that yeah. set the U.S. on a path to war in this part of the world. Most controversial one being the Gulf of Tonkin incident. Yes. Which, uh, did we do a whole episode on that yet or did we just do false flags? We did false flags where we discussed it at length. But, uh, you know, maybe we could go deeper. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, check out the False Flags episode if you have yet to do so. There's some pretty interesting stuff there. For now, we're going to explore the not, – not the entire Vietnam War 
because this is the setup, right? Yes. To Operation Chaos, we're going to look at the people the U.S. sent to wage this war. The Vietnam War, as it's called in the U.S., used a conscription system, a draft. Mm -hmm. And that is something that hasn't occurred since. Roughly 2.7 million U.S. soldiers served in Vietnam. And of those 2.7 million, around 25% were draftees, meaning that they were forced to go. And in most cases, it would be a crime for them to refuse to serve in the war, regardless of their ideological or political affiliations. There are cases where you could be a conscientious objector, for instance, a pacifist mm -hmm. or a so-called pacifist like uh, the Quakers. Lyndon LaRouche was raised a Quaker, which will be important a little bit later yes. in today's show. Or uh, Muhammad Ali, who was a conscientious objector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so conscientious objection is a genuine thing, but there were a lot of people who hightailed it to Canada, for instance, yes. because they – felt like they wouldn't be able to make a case for conscientious objection, that they would have been popped into the shake-and-bake system and then sent off to die in the jungle. That's how a lot of people looked at it. Yeah, especially towards the end of the Vietnam conflict, mm -hmm. uh, as as the propaganda and the, the truth of the situation was coming forward. Mm -hmm. And many, many, many other people, as you could tell from the statistics – about 75% of the forces there volunteered or were already career military. Yes. And not all of these people came back. We discussed this briefly in our episode on the allegations of POWs left behind in Vietnam, mm -hmm. which is still a contentious topic of conversation, right? Because there's simply not enough proof. Yeah. One way or the other, unfortunately. And we know that of the people who went, of the roughly 2.7 million, not everybody made it home. That's the reality, but we have the actual numbers too, right? Yeah, one out of every 10 Americans who served in Vietnam was in some way a casualty. There was somewhere between 58,148 and 58,220 that were killed. Just uh, – killed while they were there, and then another 304,000 that were wounded. And that's an estimate there. Right. Yeah. The oldest – and this is, again, just on the U.S. side. The oldest person on the U.S. side killed was 62 years old. Of the people who were killed, 61 percent, more than half, were younger than 21. Wow. And more than 11,000 of those killed were younger than 20. Jeez. And five people who were killed in Vietnam were only 16 years old. That's, again, on the American side. It's very important because there were a lot of people under 16 years old uh, that died that were not on the American side. Right. That were civilians. Yeah. That were simply trying to live their lives. So let's look at the Vietnamese side. The U.S. military estimates that between 200,000 and 250,000 South Vietnamese soldiers died in the war and in 1995, Vietnam released its official estimate of war casualties, and it cited as many as 2 million civilians on both sides, the North Vietnamese and South Vietnamese side. And they said, in addition, there were 1.1 million North Vietnamese and Viet Cong soldier casualties. 
That is unthinkable. It's a bloodbath. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, the overall tonnage of bombs that were dropped during the Vietnam War exceeds that of if you add up most of World War II. Just if you think about the the amount of munition Mm. that was used there, it exceeds almost all of World War II, which is insane. And in many cases, some of that ordinance remains in Laos, right? Yeah, unexploded. Right. And the U.S. conducted secret illegal operations in Cambodia and Laos in particular. A lot of people here in the U.S. agreed with the war and a lot of people did not. Mm -hmm. And this is where we hit upon the concept of deserters. Deserters would be a little bit different from draft dodgers, right? Yes. Yeah. So if you're a draft dodger – Your number gets called up. They pull your card and you say, for one reason or another, forget this. I'm out of here. I'm going to Canada. I'm going to Europe. I'm going to head out for the southern continent, you know? Mm -hmm. And there were organizations set up to assist people that wanted to dodge the draft. That's a a pejorative kind of a draft dodger, but like they wanted to – uh, what What is a better way to – They did that? not want to participate in a war with which they did not agree. Oh, there you go. But yeah, they, they just – they disagreed. Um, but if we're going to talk about what a deserter is, mm-hmm. a, an actual deserter, this is um, – the military has a classification for this and it is that uh, it's any person that's been absent without leave, a service member, mind you uh, – for more than 30 days. 30 days or less, you're AWOL, right? Yes, exactly. And you have to be an active member of the military to be considered a deserter. And desertion is something that occurs in almost every war. Oh, right? yes. It's uh, it's often looked down upon. Mm-hmm. It's seen as an unpatriotic move, to say the least. And at times, it's seen as uh, tremendously unethical, right? Mm -hmm. The idea being that someone has already to some extent agreed to serve in a military. Yeah. And then they have gone back on their word or the vow they took, the oath they took. And Vietnam was no different. In fact, quite a few people deserted during Vietnam. Yeah. According to reports from 1972, from, uh, let's see, July 1966 until November 1972, around 423,000 United States military personnel were classified as deserters. Now, again, they've been classified as deserters. It doesn't mean that that's necessarily, you know, whatever the situation they're going through, those are very, they're varying to a large extent, Mm -hmm. but um, they're classified that way by the military. Now, uh, let's see, by July of 1972, according to this report, a large number of these people were, quote, returned to military control. That's uh, 391,000 of the 423,000. So <laughs> they were returned to military control. And it's interesting because this – around this time frame, 1966 to 1972, this is when the U.S. military began even tracking these numbers because they had been relatively low in the past. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you look at World War II – there were 16.3 million Americans who served in some capacity in the military during World War II, and there were only an estimated 40,000 deserters at that time. But again, 
like when do those numbers, when are those numbers put forth? Is it after you've returned a lot of the other ones to military control? Are they still considered deserters in that number? It gets a little fishy because they weren't tracking it very well. Right. Yeah. And again, these are official numbers which will almost always differ from actual numbers, mm-hmm. especially when you get into the big government stuff. Yeah. Right? When it, whenever a government reports bad news about itself, yeah. there's going to be a difference between what what is uh, officially said and what actually happened. But let's not get lost in the numbers, right? Let's let's explore these deserters as people. Yes. They didn't one day, well, not to speculate too much, but most of them did not one day say, "Ah, eh, you know, I gave it a shot. Uh I think I'm just going to just going to hide out." Mhm. These people, being rational intelligent beings, had a series of desires and motivations and fears and ambitions that drove them to commit this act of desertion. But what are those reasons? What are those motivations? We'll get to that after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, 
So does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We're back. And the first reason for desertion is incredibly, dare I say, painfully apparent. It is the fear of physical harm or death. Yeah. That's the one that stands right out. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, for instance, I, uh, I'm i born in Nebraska, right? And I was easily going to live most of my life in my small town. I was going to go watch the local high school or college games. And now, because someone I never met in Washington, D.C. has a problem with Vietnam, now here I am. I don't know these people. I don't speak Vietnamese. That guy next to me got shot in the head. This is terrible. Yeah. That's understandable. And people have people deserted for fear of being the next headshot at times, right? Mm -hmm. And the the calculation, again, this is not to deride people. We're attempting to illustrate the psychological process. Uh, They reached a point where the instinct for self-preservation outweighed the social obligation to do one's duty. Or the ideological belief that what they're doing is more important than their safety. Right, yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's another reason for desertion, right? Ideological differences. Yeah. Maybe I don't agree that the way of life we are fighting for, you know, the stated goals of removing communism or saving this country from communist invaders, maybe Mm -hmm. I don't agree with it. Right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you agreed with it originally, mm-hmm. right? When you signed up in Northern California or Oregon or something. Yeah. And then you went to the war and you saw what was happening on the ground and you said, this is not what I believe to be just. Yeah. I'm, I'm not afraid of dying, but I will not be a part of this thing with which I disagree. Yeah. And that that's a whole other situation there when you're looking at the actual operations that occurred and some of the tragedies and massacres that Mm. were, uh, it's true that were perpetrated by the U.S. military and it's unfortunate fact. And sometimes perpetrated by factions of the U.S. military without the approval. Yes. Oh, absolutely. of, Of larger entities. Absolutely. But yes, those atrocities did occur. A third reason for an individual to desert would be a little bit more mercenary, an opportunity for a new life, for celebrity, for material goods, material gain, or for profit. So, for example, uh, you can think of the stories of people in the Korean War. There have been a couple of guys who deserted to the DPRK, to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. And when they deserted, they were occasionally treated 
like celebrities. They were the bad Americans in the propaganda films. They yeah. were literally movie stars. Yeah. Wow. It did not end well for them, to be clear about that. I think one guy recently was uh, – I believe he was allowed to see his mother before she passed. But Jeez. he lived his – he lived most of his life in North Korea. But those are the reasons. Fear of physical harm, don't kill me, ideological differences – I disagree with the concept or the motivations for this war or the opportunity, the self-serving opportunity to, you know, be famous. Yeah. To get paid. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And those are, I mean, there are nuances to all of those. Sure, absolutely. Sure. Uh, but let's, let's look at the other side of this war as well. There was not just a physical side of this large – proxy war between capitalism and communism, there was an ideological side. And a war was functioning as a business. Yes. War has always been about resource extraction, control, suppression, management, etc. And deserters were another resource to be exploited. Oh, yes. By other countries, by – by enemies of the state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, for the USSR and communism at large, deserters are fantastic, especially if they come over to your side. The best anti-war advertisements are always going to be images of a wonderful life, somehow better on the other side of the trenches, the other side of the conflict. In the US, for instance, uh, you'll see propaganda that touts amenities like, we have refrigerators, we have new automobiles, why are you fighting? You can buy four kinds of ham in our grocery stores. Think about how much food you can cook with this microwave. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, exactly. You know, this idea of selling, again, the American dream, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the retro-futuristic Jetsons life. Right? Yeah. Another thing that is enormously beneficial from a propaganda perspective is testimony from deserters. Actual word of mouth. Don't believe this advertisement about the microwave. Oh, I don't believe. I don't know. I don't believe that at all. You know why? Because I've seen it before. And that, all that microwave does is burn your food and it just makes things soggy. Don't listen to them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Join the revolution. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Whatever that revolution might yeah. be at the time. Yeah. Spot on. You will tend to believe a person more so than an idea, especially depending on how that person is presented to you. Ah, there you go. So this is a crucial ideological tool for the forces opposing the U.S. in the Indochina or Vietnam conflict. Often these two propaganda opportunities were combined in anti-U.S. operations. A deserter laments the injustices of the war and imperialistic U.S. culture overall and then pivots to tout the freedom they encountered after crossing over. That freedom might not be what the Western world would think of as freedom. It might not be necessarily freedom of speech. It might be portrayed as freedom to join the great collective oh, pushing yeah. for a better world or something like that. You mm. know? But what about European nations? A lot of times European nations are – they want to be seen as neutral parties when there's something like this going on, some kind of conflict of this nature. Or, or maybe they want to be a safe haven where either a deserter or otherwise could come and you know live in their land um, – just to show that they're not 
on either side, really, of the conflict. Like, you can come here, we'll give you safe passage, you you know, you can stay here for X number of days or weeks or years. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to show that they can act on their own accord and not be influenced by, again, usually the U.S. Mm-hmm. or whichever, whichever country is in power. Right. Like the old Disney P- Pinocchio, I have no strings. Yeah. I can act unilaterally. Yes. Right? And we will help you out, but we also won't, you know, we won't, we won't really help or hurt you, but we'll give you safe haven. Right, yeah. A refugee status. Yes. Perhaps, or a, a visa. Mm-hmm. Right? In Sweden in particular, many deserters joined something called the American Deserters Committee, named in what can I can only imagine is a burst of creativity. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, that's, I mean, it's, they had other stuff going on. I'm sure they didn't spend, you know, a week workshopping the name. Yeah. And there were American deserters committees throughout several countries mm-hmm. that kind of popped up to do a similar thing. So what were they doing? Uh, well, they really just wanted to have some kind of united front for deserters, a, a voice for everyone to speak in unison, right? Like all deserters together, this is this is us. We we are we have a powerful voice. Ah, yes, we are now a voting block of some sort, or we can unite. And now it's not just one or two of us occasionally on uh, anti-war television spots. It's a, a, a huge group of us all at once. Yeah, and we'll stage protest. Yeah, and we can issue a statement from us, not just from me, uh, Matt the deserter. Oh, good call. I didn't even think about that. It sounds so much more official. Uncle Sam was predictably concerned, very much so, because there are hazards for the U.S. when it comes to deserters from the war. And one of the it's, – it's tough to say which is more important, but we can walk through a couple of them. In no particular order then, public opinion, support for the war is incredibly fragile on the domestic front. Uh, the role of the media in the Vietnam War, especially as it escalated, cannot be overstated. This was not World War II where information was often carefully managed for the domestic front. Journalists were out there, 60-something of them got killed in the process, but they were showing things that the American public would not expect to see and in many cases was not supposed to see. Yeah. Would not normally see in in any kind of conflict like this. Mm -hmm. And because of this, the U.S. was unable to entirely suppress the flow of domestic information from domestic sources, much less suppress the flow of anti-war messages from abroad. It's tough to scramble a shortwave radio. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And there was a tremendous and plausible, very well-founded concern that anti-war movements in the U.S. could trigger massive domestic unrest. We're talking about the fall of states and the fall of the rule of law. And that if the American public sympathized with deserters who could not return home and who also implicitly avoided the legal consequences of desertion, then the powder keg would explode. People would watch this and say, these people deserve to come back to our homeland. And I guess our homeland is not as powerful as it wants us to believe. Oh, man. Right? If the ideological foundations begin to crumble, then 
Oof, everything does. It sounds kind of abstract, but I think you're right. Yeah. I don't know. People are so weird, you know? Like, <laughs> there's so many things that if we, if we attempted to explain to an extraterrestrial civilization, we would sound insane. Yeah. Oh, hey, welcome. Uh, let me take you to our leaders. Hop in this. We call it a car. And then the alien's like, why are we stopping? Oh, we have to wait for this thing to change colors. Yeah. Why? There's no one here. It's it's just a thing we do, man. Be cool. Be cool. <laughs> We're on the way to see the president. Wait, hold on. Are you saying are you saying that I shouldn't follow traffic signals if there's no one around? I cannot legally <laughs> agree with that. No, I I'm using it as I'm just perhaps joking. a poor example. No, no, it's not a poor example. It's weird because we'll we'll sit. I, think, I totally will. I think most deaf has a has a great line about that on on Black Star. Oh, nice. When um, they're quoting a poem in one of the songs where a guy says, we were sitting three deep at a traffic stop talking about how brainwashed some of our brothers and sisters are while we waited for a green light to tell us when to go. Oh, dude. It sounds way better when when you hear the original. <laughs> yeah, and there's a nice beat behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this, I, I mean, we're, we're pointing out, hopefully, that the ideological things, the programmed behaviors of people are very easily normalized and accepted and it doesn't take as much as you might think to disrupt those things. Absolutely. Right? We're gullible. Yeah. How many people did you see wearing a tie today? Why do they do that? What does a tie do? What's the point? What's the point of a tie? <laughs> okay, so. Sorry. <laughs> no, Sorry. you're good. You're it's good. been on my mind for a while. I get it, man. I okay. feel the same way. I'm just not as vocal about it. I need to start, uh, you know, saying the things I think. <laughs> I feel like a. I feel like a, saying that ties are silly is maybe not the best way to start a revolution. But anyway, ideology aside, sorry, I went off the rails on that one, Matt. Uh, wh- there are other things that are perhaps more material. Oh yeah, uh, the other, the next one has to do with triangulation, really. So. Let's imagine that you are another country, right? You're mm-hmm. an intelligence officer for another country and there's a group of American deserters. You you meet one of them and mm-hmm. you start talking to them. Maybe you even, let's say, capture them. Or maybe, maybe you don't even have to capture them. Maybe you just have some drinks with them at a bar. Oh, yeah. And you get intelligence from this person. You're essentially interrogating them, right? Uh, One individual, one small group of individuals, and you get any and all relevant information that you can from these people. Operation aims, programs, both ongoing, ones that are occurring right now, ones from the past. You can get all kinds of details about your enemy with somebody like this. And then here's the deal. I said triangulation. Mm -hmm. You take that information you've gathered, then you compare and contrast it to another individual perhaps, that you met at another bar or that was also captured. Oh, okay. Question them separately. Yeah. And now you've got leads. You've got real leads. You can dis- you can decide what is probably bunk, what is probably real. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a gold mine for an intelligence uh, mind. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you would be able to falsify misinformation. Oh, yeah. Right? Unless the people you were questioning already had an established story or narrative. Yeah. You would ultimately be able to find out what they were thinking, where they were going, and this can lead to all these massive insights. And there's a sticky thing here. It's uh, 
it's logical then in a world of rational actors, which all nations and states are, it's logical then that you could be in a situation as a leader of a country where you can rationalize the death of a single prisoner or deserter because it can be framed as a effective way, albeit brutal, an effective way of saving the lives of multiple other people. Yeah. And when we say rationalize the death of a deserter or prisoner, that doesn't just mean abandoning them, leaving them in the cold or throwing them to the wolves. That also could mean sending one of your own people to get rid of them. Possibility. Yeah, it it's an unfortunate comparison, but I think it works of the mafia. If you join the mafia in some capacity or another, or let's just say an organized crime association, leaving that group is probably not a good idea. Just because of for that same for the information that you have, for the loose end that you become. You know, can I make a confession to you, mm-hmm. Matt? I have never seen The Sopranos. What? Is it good? I love it. Do you really? I really did. You have seen it? I have. I've seen it twice all the way through. Should I watch it? I mean, I would recommend it. What do you think? Anyone? Do you, Sopranos? Yeah? Tony? <laughs> uh, I, I read the wiki. Does that count? <laughs> sure. That's all you oh, need. Okay. Paul, That's all you Paul, need. Paul, are the, did you watch The Sopranos? Oh, Paul guys. didn't watch it either. It's classic HBO. It's like, hmm. <laughs> All right. I, I will watch it. You are the one who told me to watch The Wire. Yeah. Um, wow. I was one of those guys, huh? No. <laughs> Dude, The Wire is so good, Paul. You got to watch The Wire, man. It's so good. <laughs> it really was. It was but, great. But yeah. I liked a lot of it. Uh, so that I think your comparison holds up. This idea of omerta, this idea mm-hmm. of silence above all, right? And the idea that this is a one-way entry organization. Yeah. That does apply. Maybe not to all militaries, maybe not even to the U.S. military, but that applies to a lot of things when we start talking about the murky world of government secrecy. And then deserters are also very, very useful as another form of propaganda. Propaganda advertised to soldiers in the field. Yeah, actively occurring while soldiers are trying to fight, like in a battle. Yeah, and there were radio stations that would bombard people with broadcast. And several of several of you listening to today's episode uh, may be Vietnam veterans, and we would be intensely interested to hear whether you personally encountered this sort of. Propaganda, mm-hmm. some something like Hanoi Hannah, whatever, which would release these broadcasts in English, telling soldiers how useless the U.S. side of the war was and how dumb it was to be there. So imagine you're up to your waist in mud and filth, and you're marching, your feet are rotting in your socks. The rain hasn't stopped for three days, and at yeah. this point, everybody knows it's it's just not going to. Some of your friends and acquaintances have just died. Mm -hmm. And then you hear a radio broadcast featuring a soldier who sounds like he could be from your hometown in Nebraska, in Kansas, in Oregon, in California. And they're talking about the injustices of war, the freedom of life in uh, neutral Sweden or Europe, uh, the, the ideological struggle and progress 
occurring in communist Russia. How much more marching do you have in you with all these things bombarding you? What is the limit? That's where that first one, the the public opinion and the ideological foundations are so important. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have if you don't have that stuff as just steel, if that stuff is not steel in your mind, mm-hmm. then maybe it, it chips away enough to get you to go. Yeah, and in many cases, it must be said that that kind of attempt at brainwashing might just make somebody more resolute in their existing convictions. Absolutely possible. And I'm sure that has happened. But due to these concerns, which again are not specific to the Vietnam War, they echo throughout history and they're not specific to the US either. They echo throughout cultures. Due to these concerns, countries have legal punishments for the act of desertion, incredibly harsh punishments. In the U.S., any person found guilty of desertion or attempt to desert shall be punished. If the offense is committed in a time of war, they will be punished by death or such other punishment as a court-martial might direct. But if the desertion or attempt to desert occurs at any other time, by such punishment other than death as a court-martial may direct. What that means is if we're in a war and you run away, technically you're just going to get shot it's the death penalty mm-hmm. yeah if you you might get court martialed and sentenced to several years in jail or mm-hmm. something like that and in some cases in the vietnam war uh, there would be attempts to negotiate with deserters where people would say through one entity or another they would say hey well if you agree to come with us voluntarily then you know just have a year in prison dishonorable discharge, go on with your life. We get it. War is hell. Come in from the cold. But still, it's tough to believe people when they say things like that, especially if you know legally it is a death sentence. Yeah. Julian Assange, just come on over, man. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. We're going to treat you well. What's Ecuador got that we ain't got? Oh, too soon, too soon. We should do an update on him soon. Yeah. Uh, but with all this in in play, we have to ask ourselves, how far would Uncle Sam go to, by hook or by crook, bring its soldiers home? And we'll find out right after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. 
Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of, but they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. The U.S. went above and beyond all legal thresholds in attempts to surveil and or apprehend deserters with minimum publicity. Absolutely. The, one of the top priorities of, of, let's say, the goals here were to avoid propaganda of successful desertion. So if we don't want anyone to know that people have deserted and they, they got away with it, like let's keep that to a minimum at least. And it was also a thing where it was probably not a good idea to actually go out and assassinate deserters. Like that's probably a bad idea because this is, you know, you turn them into a martyr of sorts. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm speaking from the side of the the intelligence system within the United States. Like mm -hmm. this is what you're imagining. Um, that would just – it would totally fuel the fire for anti-war protests and the activists that are already inside the United States fomenting these feelings of anti-war. Um, and this led to something that we researched this week called <laughs> – Operation Chaos. Yes. Yes, it's true. The intelligence agencies were in quite a pickle, a, a rock and a hard place type dilemma. You don't want deserters to flout the law, mm -hmm. right? You don't want them to be successful in their desertion. And you certainly don't want other people to know that they can do any of that. But you also don't want to be known as a government that actively goes out and kills its own. Yeah. The, the, neither of these are particularly good looks. So 
Operation Chaos was formed, a, a special operations group within the CIA, and it was secret for a while, mm-hmm. uh, for a long time after it was closed down because it, it only functioned for a number of years, right? Yeah, it was established in August of 1967 and it was then active for six full years. And uh, the stated purpose here was to collect, coordinate, evaluate, and report on foreign contacts with American dissidents. And uh, for it, they collected information on dissident Americans and they did that via the FBI domestically. So if they wanted to get information on dissidents who were Within the United States, mm-hmm. they use the FBI because that's their purpose. To- Who's on the uh, mailing list for this communist newsletter? Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, uh, I guess, thankfully for these for this intelligence community, there are so many active military stations overseas in mm-hmm. other countries that they are just using these stations to collect information on, let's say, the local dissidents, the there local American dissidents, mm-hmm. the local would be expats, mm-hmm. right? So how how many people were involved with this on the uh, espionage side? Well, you heard us say 52 people at the top. There were officially 52 staff members working on Operation Chaos. Officially. Well, yeah, because you had there – were, there were operatives. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there were probably operatives who were not known uh, in an, any official capacity or maybe even recorded anywhere. Ah, just a friend of a friend. Perhaps. Just, I mean, in in any undercover operation, there's going to be a few of those. A few just actors, assets. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I think you were absolutely right. Or a few people who may not know that they are assets are helping the operation, right? They just run a local newspaper. Yeah. There you go. They're a photographer who happens to have a a mysterious but uh, loaded benefactor would like to buy some photos. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's how it happens. Yep. So uh, they they successfully did this, right, for years. They created files on thousands of U.S. citizens. Yeah, 7,200 officially American citizens. And then within these files, there are the names of over 300,000 people and organizations that were associated with those 7,200 people. Just to be clear, this is an act of conspiracy. Yeah. The government is the conspirator in this case, but this is illegal. They're not supposed to be doing it, and they sure did. But, I mean, it's not as bad as the NSA from a couple of years back and currently. <laughs> but, you know, it's not great. Uh, all right. I mean, it feels <laughs> weird to split <laughs> these hairs. Uh, yes, but the argument used to justify these actions was very, very similar to the argument used today to justify the NSA's warrantless access to anything you do online, in theory. Right? And anyone you associate with. And anyone they associate with. And on and on and on. Kevin Bacon pops up sooner than you think in this game. And echelon five eyes forever. Amen. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, do you think we have records? Come on. Remember we used to joke about an intern at the NSA if someone was listening to us? By this point, we have like an associate producer or there's there's somebody. Uh, that guy is uh, – that poor guy or girl, that poor kid is just so bored, right? Maybe it's a junior officer. Do you think we got – oh, man. Moving on up, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You know what? I'll take it. Hey, if you're listening, I I, I don't know if you can write in, uh, but 
feel free to do so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we would love we would love to hear from you. Uh, and also, if you know my uh, internet history friendly stranger, uh, you'll see that I'm really into cauliflower recipes. So send a few my way. Cauliflower is oh. amazing. Right? Oh, okay. The, we're talking about the food, right? Yeah, the food. Not okay, a euphemism, good. not a okay. weird thing. Okay. I actually love <laughs> cooking with cauliflower. Nice. Noel, Noel does as well, I believe. Very good. I'm a broccoli guy, but you know. I, I, you know, I'm trying to get into more vegetables, man. Broccoli is my first love. Dude. Food-wise. Nice. <laughs> This took a turn. We're just trying to prove that we are innocuous yes. to the NSA. Uh, and we have an opportunity to attempt that because we are aware that these programs exist. The people being surveilled had uh, very strong suspicions and in many cases very strong circumstantial evidence. But for the most part, they had no proof of what was happening. They had no opportunity to be like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm not great on the war, but have you heard about cauliflower? They <laughs> yeah. couldn't do any of that endearing stuff. Yeah. And most people, even in the modern day, didn't have any idea what was happening. We learned about this through a book called Operation Chaos, The Vietnam Deserters Who Fought the CIA, Brainwashers, and Themselves. Oh, that's a great title. Yeah. It's, it's pretty specific. In this book, the author, Matthew Sweet, outlines these strange and often contradictory accounts from Vietnam deserters who joined the ADC that we mentioned there in Sweden. And he also asked them about their opinions regarding intelligence agencies from the U.S., Russia, and Sweden, all of whom infiltrated their group at some point in some shape, fashion, or form, and then later infiltrated the subsequent extremist offshoots of the ADC. Because Operation Chaos, as, as you outlined earlier, Matt, is an umbrella term. Mm -hmm. Domestic monitoring, foreign monitoring, all sort of for the larger aim. The aspects of Operation Chaos that Matthew Sweet focuses on are – exclusively the stories of the deserters living abroad. Mm -hmm. And he tracks them down, those who are still alive, and he asks them to tell their stories. He also asks members of uh, foreign intelligence agencies to tell their stories if they can, right? And the U.S. intelligence agency, the community in the U.S., had a sustained effort to not only infiltrate these deserter organizations but to repatriate deserters, they're the ones who would say, hey, no harm, no foul. Just come back. We can probably get you out of jail in a year. Dishonorable discharge, but you can go on with your life. Yeah. All you have to do is say that you made a mistake publicly, that you regret it. You're still Team America, and we're all good. Have you seen the show Barry? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you a fan? Yeah, you did something just now that totally reminded me of, I forget his name. He's the super nice guy who's one of the bad guys. He's bald. Oh, yeah, He's yeah. like, hey, Barry, <laughs> what's going on? Just let you know, you know, they're going to kill you. So anyway, <laughs> be that, careful. I love that guy. That's one of my favorite characters in that show. <laughs> He's awesome. That's what you call it, alopecia. He's hairless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that guy is for me, a scene stealer because everyone he meets, and this is not spoiling the show for you. This guy is a, a gangster yeah, who does uh, horrific things. Well, did he? 
what, I, what I country don't even know if he from? ever did anything horrific. I couldn't even tell you. And this is, we don't even have to talk about this, Ben. I just, I all I could think about was that for a split <laughs> second, and then it just reverberated. Yeah, because, um, well, the the most endearing thing about that dude is everyone he meets is described as a super nice guy. Oh, yeah. He's a super nice guy. Especially Barry, though. Barry. <laughs> Do you want some juice? <laughs> yeah. I've got to go back and rewatch it. If you haven't watched it yet, do do check it out because uh, it's it's a fantastic show, and it's not Bill Hader's in it, but it's it's not really a comedy. No, but that Bill guy, Hader is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. the The comedy parts are, are pretty much that guy that mm-hmm. we just mentioned. Yeah. And did you know the other gangster is the bad guy from yeah. True Detective? Yes. Yeah. Oh, man, so awesome. Now I'm impressed. Okay, so anyway. Oh, yeah, so anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, graphic widespread abuses of power by the intelligence agencies, not just the U.S., also Russia and Sweden. So they wanted to, the U.S., wanted to repatriate these deserters, suppress or nullify their anti-war messages, right? And in this book, Matthew Sweet explores – the explores the facts through statistics, but then primarily through anecdotes and accounts of the deserters and the other players on the field. So, well, who? What's our who's who? If we were to do a who's who, what are some of the main players in this? Well, one is well, one of the deserters is Chuck Onan, O N A N, and he. He joined the the U.S. Marines when he was a bit younger. Then he ended up deserting to Sweden via Iceland mm-hmm. uh, with this ADC. And um, the other information that was in the book, there's a little section at the front of this book that gives you kind of a rundown of the characters. And it said he's a now a big fan of medical marijuana. Right, yeah. If you read Sweet's initial encounters with the guy when he like, gets to his house – uh, he's the author spends some time describing how this dude thinks marijuana is going to save the world and how he's going to start this growing operation and how he's extremely uncomfortable because I, I think at some point while Matthew Sweet is talking to this guy, a drug deal occurs. Oh. And someone, <laughs> I think someone comes to, to buy marijuana. Oh, geez. And – this is this is one guy. Uh, there's there are other ones. One of the big players, and one of the most controversial is a fellow named Michael Vale. Yes, this is I guess the leader of the uh, the ADC, the American Deserters Committee, and he was considered by some to be the Rasputin hmm. of the ADC. And this guy was suspected of being a CIA infiltrator. He used interrogation and breakdown techniques on people. Oh, geez. So he was known for breaking down uh, would-be members of the ADC or people trying to join the ADC. These are people who have already deserted uh, on the basis of their politics or their beliefs, reducing them to tears, uh, winnowing away their personalities so he could remake them anew. And a lot of people followed him. He had disciples, you know. Uh, A lot of people hated the guy. Yeah. And using those sorts of techniques, of course, lends some credence to the idea that someone is a CIA infiltrator or works for an intelligence agency. But what becomes apparent very quickly here 
is that these people were all accusing each other. Yeah. No one was dedicated enough to the cause. Yeah. No one was ideological enough. Everyone could be a mole. The paranoia was definitely running high because there was another gentleman named Bo Burlingham. He went by Arlo Jacobs uh, for part of that time. He was a student radical, a weatherman, if you will, part of the weather underground. Mm -hmm. And he was suspected of being a CIA infiltrator as well uh, by other members of the group. It's the hip new thing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and then we get into the actual spies, the, the, the people who are confirmed intelligence officers like Richard Ober, who is pretty much the head of Operation Chaos or at least in some ways the functional head of it. Right. And he was considered by a lot of others to be uh, paranoid and secretive mm -hmm. in his own workings, mm -hmm. which again, you know, if you're running an operation like that, that's full of secrecy and lies – you got to be pretty paranoid, right? Right. And he expected the same out of the people who worked with and for him, mm -hmm. you know. And for his part, he will argue, and he does argue in the book, I believe, that the mission was entirely meant to surveil and collect information, not to do any sort of skullduggery or wet work or kidnapping or assassination or mm -hmm. any of that black bag hoopla. I mean, the stated goals are just that. Just vacuum up the information. Yep. Right? Who's sending who notes, who's calling whom. That's the official story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a there's another uh, member of the intelligence community that pops up in the book. Oh, yeah. There's a gentleman named Frank Rafalco, and he was, he was working on the Black Panther detail of uh, Operation Chaos because they were looking at what they considered to be extremist groups mm -hmm. and they considered sections of the Black Panthers to be just that. Um, and this guy was the only officer so far, at least according to Matthew Sweet, that has spoken publicly about Operation Chaos. Mm -hmm. So far. Yeah. And the stories continue. It's It's just strange to learn that not only did this operation – go on successfully on a global scale for, what, six years? Yeah. More than half a decade. Uh, but there were no repercussions for the U.S., right? A lot of the deserters found their way back to the states or found their way to a friendly country. And many of their – I mean, regardless of whether someone from the outside looking in would call their lives successful or unsuccessful. The truth is that their lives were tremendously affected by this program, right, in ways that we probably still don't fully understand. And there are still questions there. Uh, we don't know for sure who was or wasn't a mole, who did or did not provide information. Many of these people had torturous personal lives, drug addiction, right? Heavy debts, uh, childhoods full of abuse. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to speculate what motivated them and how deep they got. We know something happened because yeah. <laughs> the information got out there. But we have to ask ourselves, what did this mean in the long run? Did it change the course of the Vietnam War? Probably not. Probably not. It's you know, in comparison to 2.7 million soldiers, it's not that many people. Were there any large movements from groups that were helping out dissidents? I mean, it doesn't seem to. There's no at least there – there aren't many 
No, I can't think of a single one where the United States took any kind of action against a civilian group in another country because they were aiding dissidents. At least not overtly. No, I mean, yeah, that we would know about. Right, right. And it's common to work through proxy groups and and so on. But we have to think beyond the events of Vietnam that still have many unexplained things. Agent Orange is an example that recurred during the Iraq War, at least allegations of exposure to it. Is it possible that programs like this exist now in uh, the current wars the U.S. is embroiled in or I guess since we don't call them wars anymore, the current conflicts? Yeah. Right? Who is – mon- the situation. The situation, yeah. Who is monitoring uh, these interactions? Why? Are people deserting in the numbers uh, that occurred during the Vietnam War? Probably not. Probably not because there's not a draft. Yeah. But that could change. Oh, that could absolutely change. It just takes an act of Congress. Right. So we we wonder, we have to wonder if there's more stuff they don't want you to know, if there's an Operation Chaos 2.0 out there somewhere. And if so, what's it called? Currently, the U.S. military is comprised of volunteers, meaning that no one is conscripted or drafted and there are no laws that compel a U.S. citizen to serve mandatory time in the armed forces. And that's that's not the same in other countries. Uh, South Korea and Israel, for example, have laws requiring citizens to serve in the military for X amount of time. Absolutely. The one thing I would say in the U.S., it is still compulsory for all male citizens to submit their information to the selective service system within 30 days of their 18th birthday. And that's just to make sure the selective service system remains in case a draft is necessary in Congress like puts the hammer down and makes it happen. Because as Malcolm Gladwell so eloquently explains in The Tipping Point, nothing seems like it will ever happen until suddenly it does. Yeah. Great point, Malcolm. (laughs) Great point. Great point, Mr. G. Uh, Today we end our episode with this, this important point. Yes, there is no draft going on now. There is no Operation Chaos that we are aware of, even though the technological abilities to do so are far and beyond what they ever were before in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. You know, we're all carrying – the average person is carrying a tiny spy in their pocket. Two cameras at least and a mic. Right. And how tough is it to get in there? Who watches The Watchmen? All that Mm -hmm. jazz, all that slow jazz. And what about on your wrist? If you got a smartwatch or Mm -hmm. who knows? What what if you got a Google Home or an Amazon Echo in your house? Oh, man. Or a couple security cameras? Oh, don't, please. Mm. It's too late. Does your TV have a camera on it? Does your PlayStation have a microphone? You know what? Maybe if they did, I would take better care of myself. Like, I'd eat more healthy food, you know? Yeah. I would, uh... (laughs) That's where you'd start. That's where it'd start. That'd be base level. Check it out. I'm eating kale. Thank you, police state. But one other important thing to hit on here is that in many cases, these deserters live on today somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. And they're real people. Are they perfect? No. Who is? Some folks would consider them straight out traitors. Other folks would consider them the equivalent of freedom fighters and There are people who will make the argument that if they broke the rules, the rules no longer apply to them. But that goes into what sort of importance we place on the rule of law. And it goes into 
perhaps even more importantly, what importance we place on the lawmakers obeying the laws they create. Wow. So what do you think about Operation Chaos? Do you Have you read the book? Do you know anything about it? Have you ever encountered anyone who was a, uh, a dissident, an American or otherwise? Uh, we'd love to hear your stories. We'd love for you to contact us and just talk to us about it. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook where we're Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. You can find our website, StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. You can also call us at one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Do it. Call us. You might get on the air after we get enough messages. We need more messages, honestly. So, like, stop what you're doing. Call us. Uh, I don't know. We sing. We can sing a song together or something. It will go to voicemail. Get weird with it. Yeah. Get weird. We 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 would love you to. Um, if you don't want to do any of that stuff, please send us an email. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.